0: Hey, welcome to the Capital City Christian Podcast and to our series study through the book of 1 John, a verse-by-verse study through this great letter written by the Apostle John. So grab a Bible, grab a notepad, and let's dive in together. So glad that you are joining us today Um, whether you are catching us live and uh, making sure that you're with us or whether you're watching this on repeat we are certainly certainly glad that you have joined us on this Tuesday as we continue our study through first uh, John and uh, we are slowly working our way through first second and third John and uh, we find ourselves in chapter two today of first John as you can see up here chapter two verse fifteen. To 17. We want to make sure that you grab a Bible, grab a, a notepad um, to take some notes. As you can see here, these are all the cross-reference verses that we're going to look at um, through our study today. And uh, of course, grab your fancy glass and a drink. Um, my fancy glass today is filled with fruit punch. Good old classic fruit punch. That'll take you back to your childhood. Let me tell you. Um, but uh, make sure you grab a Bible. We're going to uh, be spending a few minutes together um, today, going through First uh, John chapter two, verses fifteen um, to seventeen. And uh, and today we're going to learn a very powerful lesson about what we should love and what we should desire. Uh, and today hopefully we can learn a few things together now before we continue um, with our uh, into our lesson want to make sure that we hit our Tuesday dad joke of the week this is a segment that we do every single week because I love dad jokes and I hope that you love them too um, but just to give us a little extra time to get people gathered um, here online and uh, also to put a smile on our faces so here is Tuesday Tuesday's dad joke of the week. This is one of my favorites. Here we go. I wouldn't buy anything with Velcro. It's a total ripoff. Yes, there you go. Tuesday's dad joke of the week. Hope you enjoyed that one. Alrighty, today we are in 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Some incredible verses that are powerful and challenging. Um, As we have been walking through John, John has been teaching us about how Jesus is the word of life, how John has seen Jesus, knows Jesus, and how uh, he is one with the Father. And as John is writing What John is saying to us is that, listen, you need to walk in the light because Jesus is the light. Don't walk in the darkness. There's this contrast between light and darkness and love and hate. John says we need to focus on what is good, what is right, what is in the light. And John says if we stumble, that's okay because Jesus is our advocate and we have to love one another and and we have to have his word abiding in us and we have to be perseverant in our faith. And then John comes to these few verses that are absolutely beautiful. I want to read these verses and then we'll Walk uh, through them word for word. Here's what John says, first John chapter two, verse fifteen. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever man, these are some packed packed verses that we're going to walk through um, today. Let's dive in. First John chapter 2 verse 15. John starts out by saying, do not love." Now in the Greek language this is what is called a present active imperative with a negative, Participle, Which means that John is telling people to stop an act that is already happening, that is already in progress. And so what John is saying, hey, there are people in your churches who love the world, who are presently loving the world. The love of the world characterized a certain group of false teachers that were in the church at this time. And for us today, I believe there is relevancy because this is always a struggle. It's always a temptation to love the things of this world because we live in this world. We live in this world. And the values of human, worldly society should not define the values of you and me if we claim to be in the light, if we claim to have fellowship with the Father, if we claim to be followers of Jesus. Instead, our values should be shaped by the light, should be shaped by the values of Jesus. And John, he is in favor of, of love, but not evil. John is saying a believer's passion should should not be for what culture or the world offers, but for what God desires. And so John starts off this section by saying: do not love the world. Now, he says this this phrase, the world. Now, this term, the world, is used in two different senses in the New Testament. Number one, it is used as the concept of the cosmos, right? This physical planet, this created universe, right? John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the cosmos. God loved the world. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so this refers to um, the initial physical creation that God made. If we, if, we, if we look back, we could say it's Genesis 1 and 2. That's the beautiful world that God created, that God loved, that there's trouble in that world. But, but don't worry that Jesus has overcome the troubles of the world. So we have this initial sense that the world is the physical planet, And it it is the created order in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But the Bible also uses the phrase the world in a second sense. And that second sense is in the world being the human society that is organized and is functioning apart from God, that is separate or apart from God. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 John would write this, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be children of God and that is what we are. And then he writes this, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And so John is using the phrase the world there to show that there is a, there is, the world also represents this kind of human society organized and functioning apart from, from God. Um, in first John chapter four, verse four, John would write this, you, dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from a viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. And so there's this concept of how this second version refers to human society that is living apart from God. We could call this the world that began in Genesis 3. When Genesis 3 happened in the rebellion and sin, when mankind sinned and and rebellion against God came into the world, now we have the second version of the world that is functioning apart from the will of God. And that's the version that John is referring to. Do not love the world, the world and its functioning apart from God. And then he says this, nor the things of the world. Do not love the things of the world. And it it seems that what he's referring to here is a love of material objects. And we're going to see that in the next verse, in verse 16. Or or do not love, John may be be thinking about the the things that the world has to offer, you know, the values of the world, power and, and prestige and influence. John is communicating that this world is operating by a broken and fallen system. And the fallen world system attempts to meet all of our needs apart from God. And it structures life in such a way that humans appear to be independent right? Institutions that all of us are grateful for can become a form of idolatry when they allow independence from God. Uh, you could think about the human governmental system. You can think about human educational systems, economic systems, medical systems. It goes on and on that operate independently from the will of God can become an idol for us. Like, like Augustine, the early church father, said that every man has a God-shaped hole In his life. And we may try to fill that void with all kinds of earthly things, but we can only find peace and fulfillment in Jesus. Independence or thinking that we don't need anybody else is a curse of Genesis 3. It's a curse of Eden. It's a curse of the fall of mankind. So John says, do not love the world. Now, a question that comes to my mind when I read that phrase, do not love the world or things of the world is why? Why should I not love the world? Now, here are a few reasons. First, from a couple of New Testament, other New Testament books, and then we'll look at what John says. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The, the, the world has a pattern. The world has a certain pattern in, in which the world and <clears throat> worldly um, societies and institutions operate. Do not conform to that, Paul says but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of the reasons why we should not love the world is because if we love the world, we cannot be transformed into the image of God by the renewing of our mind. If we love the world, we cannot truly learn what God's will is for our Life transformation is a move from loving the world and being like the world to being and living according to the will of God. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Why should we not love the world? Because when you love the world... You become an enemy of God, and this is exactly what John says at the end of verse 15. He says, "If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. The world, again, is, is human society functioning apart from God. The world is a Genesis three world, a world that has rebelled against God through sin. John says, "Do not love that." world. Now in verse 16, John continues along the same line of thought. He says this for all that is in the world. And then John lists three specific things. He boils all that is in the world down to three things. Number one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Now the lust of the flesh is contrasted in other new Testament works to the work of the Holy spirit. In our lives. John chapter 3 verse 6. John would say this in his gospel. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to the spirit. This is Jesus' conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And he says listen. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Our, Our physical sinful fleshly desires. Will only give birth to fleshly desires. That's why we have to be born again. Born again of water and spirit. And spirit gives birth to spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to be moving in our lives. Now John is not suggesting that being a human is a negative thing. Being a human is not a negative thing. Having this fleshly body is not a negative thing. Rather, he is referring to worldly values that our flesh sometimes desires that are unacceptable to God. So for for the Apostle John, a war wages between people's evil desires, the desires of evil spiritual powers, and God's desires, so you have evil desires, you have God's desires. You have the will of the world, you have the will of God's kingdom. You have the will of darkness, you have the will of the light. John chapter 1 verse 5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a war happening between good and evil, between light and darkness. And the lust of the flesh, the desire of our, our fleshly bodies, refers to the fallen nature that we all have. Our, our natural self-seeking attitude that every one of us wrestles with. The apostle Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter two. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So all of us, we used to live all of us used to live at one time gratifying our sinful nature, gratifying what, what, all, the only all that we wanted, right? Think about a time in your life. Do you remember a time in your life where your life was simply all about how do you satisfy yourself, all right? The number one desire. How can I be happy? And I will do anything to reach that goal. And I will walk over anybody to reach that goal, to be happy. I remember a time in my life where that was my sole purpose. How can I satisfy Frank? What does Frank want? What does Frank need? And let me tell you, that is such a small way to live. Living only for yourself minimizes the way that you see the world. It is too small of a thing to live for. But we have all... Been there. We have all done that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The Apostle Paul identifies the same conflict and he actually uses the exact same Greek phrase that John does here in Galatians chapter 5. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 verse 16. Paul says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the same exact phrase that John uses here when he says the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Of the flesh. Paul would say, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So you see the war, the tension, the, sh- the battle, the struggle that is happening. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, and the acts of the flesh are obvious. So Paul gets really specific. If you're wondering, do I live according to the lust of the flesh or according to the will of God, here are some very tangible ways to figure that out. Here are the the things that the flesh desires. Here are the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. You lose your temper selfish ambition, you're always looking out for yourself and what you can do, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So so there are some tangible things to show us what are the desires of the flesh. And then in contrast to the desires of the flesh, Paul would say this, but the fruit of the spirit. Right? Remember Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Nicodemus, you have to be born of water and spirit. You need the spirit of God in you because the spirit of God begins to produce the fruit, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And what is the fruit of the spirit? Well, Paul writes it right here in Galatians. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And then Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. A part of following Jesus is putting to death your old self. It's being crucified with Christ. It's it's no longer this old person with these fleshly sinful desires that live. I am a new creation. I have a new spirit. And now the fruit of the spirit lives within me. So don't love the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't go back to loving the world and the desires of the flesh. No, we live by the Spirit, so let us keep in step with the Spirit. So John says, don't love the world. The world is full of of the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Of the flesh. Here's the second thing that John says the world is full of in verse 16. He says the world is full of the lust of the eyes. Okay, So he talks about sinful desires, and now he talks about the lust of the eyes. And it's very interesting because um, the Jews believed, the, the Jewish people believed and recognized, and I think rightly so, that the eyes were the windows to the soul. They believed that sin and rebellion began in the thought life, began in your mind, began with what you see, and then what you see leads into your mind, and then eventually leads out into your actions. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 says this, death and destruction are never satisfied, Okay, death, death is never satisfied. Death will never say, okay, enough people have died, so there's no more need for death. That's not how it works. Death will never be satisfied. But then look what the writer says. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. Never satisfied. Think about it. Think about what we see and how what we see gets into our minds and we just think on it. And we mentally visualize it, and eventually it leads to action. And like the Proverbs says, after you have satisfied some desire of your eyes, another desire will always come. I mean, think about it. How many of you have seen that perfect item that you wanted to buy? Man, I just want that. Man, I just want that. And marketing and advertising does such a great job of putting it in front of you. And you think you have to have it. You think you have to have it. And you think, man, if I just get that one thing, then, man, I'll be satisfied. That's all I need. I'll never need to get another one. And you think on it. And you visualize it. And finally, you get that thing. How long does that satisfaction last? Soon enough, there's going to be another thing that comes along, right? Our eyes are never Satisfied, uh, a lot of um, uh, scientists and and psychologists have done a lot of work. This is the phenomena of pornography in our culture, right that the eyes are never satisfied, and the more one looks at it they 're not satisfied. they just want more and more and more. John says that is representative of the things of the world. You have the lust of the flesh, you have the lust of the eyes that lead into the mind that lead out into our actions. And then John gives us one more thing. He says there's one more thing that the world is full of. The world is full of the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life. Now, this pride is referring to uh, a human pride apart from God. Okay? Uh, it's, it's referring to man. Mankind believing and trusting in our own resources that we are the source of everything that we need apart from God. Um, There is a um, renowned Catholic scholar who has studied the writings of John. Um, His name is Raymond Brown. And he wrote about this phrase, the boastful pride of life. He said this, however, alozenia, which is the the Greek word here for pride, is is also found in James chapter four, verse 16. Here's what James 4, 16 says. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now that phrase and that word for boasting and pride has a more active meaning than mere pride. It denotes arrogance and boastfulness and self-sufficiency. And what Raymond Brown is saying is that this boastful pride of life is actually boasting in the reality that I do not need God. I do not need anybody else. I am self-sufficient. I, I am a I am my own. I'm a self-made. Man, It's this independence and the sense of I am independent and I don't need God and I don't need help that is a boastful pride of life that is a part of this world that is actually anti-gospel of Jesus Christ. The boastful pride of life. Now, I want to specifically note that the word life here in this phrase, boastful pride of life, is the Greek word bios, which refers to the earthly temporal life on this planet. Bio and is where we get biology and all kinds of things from. But that word specifically means to the temporal life that we live now. And that's going to be contrasted with the word in the next verse. So hold, hold on to that concept of the word life in verse 16. All three of these things John says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, they're not from the Father. They're from the world. These are not things of God. These are not the values of God and God's kingdom. They are selfish. They're selfish. The values of God are selfless and self-giving. And so we need to see where, where are our allegiances, are we following the will of God or are we following the will of this world? And then John says this. This is so encouraging. Look at verse 17. John says, the world is passing away and also its lusts. The world, marked by sin and selfishness and rebellion against God, is passing away. This was the message of Jesus when Jesus came to this world. He says the kingdom of God is here. It, it, the, the kingdom of God is moving into the kingdom of this world. The world is passing away. And what John is giving us is he's alluding to the end of this present age, which is characterized by evil. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 says this, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So if there is a present evil age, what John is saying is there is going to be a future age where that evil has passed away. Second Corinthians 4.4 says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this age, the prince of this world, referring to the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that is displayed in the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We live in a present age, what the Bible calls the last days, where there is evil and there is wickedness. But the hope is is that that is passing away and a new and beautiful age is going to come. John declares that the oppressive systems of human societies are coming to an end. John's view of the last days become more apparent at the end of this letter but it's so beautifully written here that there's this hope that the world and its sinfulness and its brokenness is passing away. Similarly, John or the apostle Paul writes about this in Romans when he says this in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. He says, "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, right now we suffer. We're in this present broken sinful age. But guess what? There is going to be a glory that will be revealed. There is another age that is coming. That is going to be so much better. Paul says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Like creation was cursed when sin entered the world and when man rebelled against God. Creation suffers in this present age and is longing to be restored, is longing to be redeemed. Not only so, Paul says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope of a future better age, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait patiently because this present age is passing away. Thank God. And then John says this. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God lives forever. And here's the contrast. This word live or life here is contrasted to the temporal word for life in verse 16. The temporal word for life, the boastful pride of life, is the Greek word bios. But the word life in verse 17 is the Greek word zoe, which refers to eternal life. Literally, life abiding into the next age. You can live according to the boastful pride of life in this present age, but that will not get you into the next age to experience eternal life. But the one who does the will of God experiences not bios life, but zoe life, eternal life. Now notice how eternal life is connected to a loving lifestyle of doing the will of God, not just connected to a profession of faith. It is more than just a profession of faith that gets you eternal life. It is the one who does the will of God. As we talked about last week, there is a perseverance of faith that is required of us. Look at these couple of verses and we'll end with these. Matthew chapter 25 paints this picture. Matthew 25, 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say, this is a picture of the end times, How Jesus doesn't say, come and take your inheritance because there was this one time that you accepted Jesus, that you professed your faith in Jesus, that you prayed a prayer, that you got baptized. No, no, no. (laughs) Jesus says, you come in and take this inheritance. Why? Because your faith was lived out in the loving acts that you did toward the people that God put in your life. You did the will of God in heaven. James chapter 2 verse 14 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds And I will show you my faith by my deeds. Doing the will of God is not just a verbal profession. It is a tangible action that we live out daily in our lives. There is a necessary action required as we do the will of God, as we live out our faith. And as we live out our faith, we do the will of God. And the promise is, is that the one who does the will of God will live Forever. We'll experience not just Bios life, but we'll experience Zoe, eternal life. So I have this question for you Do you love the things of the world or do you love the things of God? Do you love the things of the world or do you love the things of God? And maybe even a better evaluation question that is even more important is do your actions reflect a love of the world or do your actions reflect a love for the things of the kingdom of God? And I hope you evaluate your life today and that you're honest with yourself about that because the things of this world are passing away. You can shoot for the things of this world and you can attain the things of this world. But the promise is that the things of this world are passing away. And we ought to be preparing and we ought to be ready for not this present age, but for the age to come. So let's do the will of God. Thanks for being here today. We hope you have a great, great evening and we hope you join us next week as we dive in to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. We hope this content serves as a catalyst towards spiritual growth in your own life. If you want to support this podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share it. This helps create more exposure and allows us to include as many people as possible into this community. Thanks for joining us and for being a part of the Capital City Christian Podcast.